0: If you would like to participate as a guest, or if you have a question that you would like to ask a guest, go to masterleadership.org for more information. Our interview will begin right after messages from our sponsors. Substance misuse is up 13% since COVID-19. Amy Guerrero, Recovery Coach, Conscious Sober Human and Founder of Thrive in Recovery, supports people in recovery to discover the root cause of what keeps them stuck in coping mechanisms that are no longer working. Amy's trauma-trained approaches help recovering people find success and create healthy relationships. If you or your family are struggling with emotional trauma and forgiveness, Amy and Thrive in Recovery have proven methods to support you. Go to ThriveInRecoveryWithAmy.com and get started on this important journey. Todd Palmer is an executive coach, keynote speaker, renowned thought leader, author, and CEO who is committed to helping business owners tackle their obstacles and clear their path to success. As an entrepreneur and active CEO, Todd knows the struggles business owners face regarding people, cash, strategy, and execution. He took his company from being six hundred thousand in debt to making the Inc. five thousand as one of America's fastest-growing companies, an astonishing six times. He specializes in helping leaders join the mission statement of the organization with their personal core values while addressing fears, self-doubts, and imposter syndrome. He brings a unique blend of authenticity, transparency, and vulnerability to help leaders and organizations achieve their highest goals. And he's here today to share his story, what he's learned along the way, and his proven framework for helping business owners achieve success.
1: Welcome, Todd Palmer. How are you? I am doing excellent. Thanks for having me on the show today. Well, we're
0: so happy to have you on our podcast. Are you ready to pour into our listeners?
1: I am ready to go.
0: Awesome. All right. So let's start by telling us a bit about your path to leadership and what you're doing now.
1: My path to leadership has been a really crazy wild ride. It's certainly been very entrepreneurial in its inception and currently still very entrepreneurial in its execution. I started a recruiting staffing company back in 1997 with very little to no capital. It was very bootstrapped, I think less than $15,000. And I really didn't know what I didn't know. And I was a salesperson for another company. I thought I could start this business and I'd just become a single dad. And I thought the most important thing for me was to raise my son and I couldn't do the corporate route because that required travel and overnights and time away from him. So I thought, okay, the ideal thing is to be an entrepreneur. I'll actually, you know, work less. That was a complete mistake. <laughs> and um, 10 years in, I'd gotten into a really tough spot. It was about $600,000 in debt. I was 60 days away from running out of all of my money, including potentially losing my house that my son and I lived in. And I kind of hit my entrepreneurial rock bottom. I had massive imposter syndrome. I was really struggling. I couldn't go into the office. I wouldn't deal with things, real failures of leadership. Mm -hmm. And I raised my hand for the first time in 10 years, and I asked for help, and I hired a coach. From that point on, my coach helped me identify the issues in my organization. And as I've discovered through my years of leadership that every issue in an organization comes from one source, people, either me as the person or the people who worked for me. We decided to clear the deck. I let go of my entire company in one day and started over. And from that point, we paid off all the debt. We pivoted the business into a very unique niche, and we made the Inc. 5000 as one of the fastest growing companies in America six times. Wow. I retired from that business a couple of years ago. And since then, I've been doing uh, coaching and leadership training for people who suffer from imposter syndrome, who get stuck, can't figure out why they won't do what they need to do to get unstuck, even though it seems very logical. And I help them you know, deal with that delta where that imposter syndrome is. And I kind of call it their itty bitty, shitty committee, where the, the <laughs> voice is telling them, you know, negative thoughts and critical parent thoughts. And now I've got my next book is coming out in October and it's called from suck to success, a guide to entrepreneurship. It's got a giant lemon on there because sucking a lemon can both be you know, awful but also you know, the vitamin C can be also very enriching. So yeah, I'm, I'm kind of a busy guy.
0: Wow. That's a very interesting journey through leadership. I love that you speak about getting unstuck. And certainly that's something that a lot of people get stuck, but they don't know the process of getting unstuck. And you looked outside of yourself, which is important to do.
1: Oh, absolutely. I, I couldn't agree with you more. I didn't know how to get unstuck. First, I wasn't sure I was stuck because you know, for me, I knew at least my style of entrepreneurship was rugged individualism. I can take that hill, I can climb that mountain, I can do it all myself. And that worked really well for me for a while until it didn't. And when it stopped working for me, I lacked the self-awareness required to get help. And so for anybody listening today, if you feel like you are stuck, you know, the first thing you can do is get help and recognize you know, an entrepreneur alone is an entrepreneur at risk. Mm -hmm. And it's not a measure of failure to raise your hand and say, please help me. It's not saying you're a quitter to stop doing one thing and pivot into doing something else. And ultimately, what I had to learn was it's a fail forward journey. We have to you know, try things. They don't always work. We take the things that work and keep those, move around. And you know, one of my favorite stories of that is Colonel Sanders from Kentucky Fried Chicken. I love the fact that he was in his 60s, driving around the Midwest, living in his car, trying to sell his first franchise, and he journaled and logged and tracked how many restaurants he visited. He went to 1,009 restaurants before he got his first yes. That is some persistence, and he learned so much along the way. 10 years later, he's an international icon and still, in a lot of restaurants, is the face of the franchise, even though he's been deceased for several years. You know, so, not only did he create wealth, but he created legacy and all through failing forward.
0: Right. And late in life.
1: Very I don't think I'd want to be sleeping in the back of my car. I'm yeah. in my early 50s. That would be painful. I can't <laughs> imagine sleeping in a Studebaker in the 50s and 60s, you know, all crumpled up in the back seat. Yeah.
0: There's a lot to learn from that generation, too. So, oh, Todd, sure. for those of us who may be stuck, How can we connect with you?
1: The best place to reach me is to go to my website, todd at extraordinaryadvisors.com. Leave me an email and I'm happy to schedule a 30 minute call for you, no charge, and just talk about what's important to you. Is it, you have a tough time making decisions like I did. I had a tough time, you know, I saw myself as a good guy and a good guy doesn't go out and deal with people the way I needed to deal with people. I avoided versus address. I let things slide versus putting in accountabilities and KPIs. And I've learned that I'm still a good guy, but now I hold people accountable. I hold all my clients accountable. They create a life by design. They create a roadmap, both personally and professionally. What do they want? And they find that they can't do it on their own. So we have to have tough conversations about, you know, Bob, you know, you said you wanted to work three days a week. You're putting in seven days a week. What's going on? What changed in your world? And ultimately so much of them is really anchoring in. What do you want? Why do you want it? And how can we help you get there? Because a lot of it is attainable with the right path.
0: Right. And I love that you ask those deep questions, which says to me that you're a high level coach.
1: Well, I'm a very unique coach. I don't necessarily teach a process. I can put processes in, Mm -hmm. Um, but I'm really the person that I've been there. I've done that. I've suffered through it and come out on the other side. And, you know, to go from $600,000 in debt to pay that debt off was painful. That's a lot of money that I would have rather spent on my son or myself or having fun. Mm-hmm. That requires discipline. I didn't have discipline in my twenties and thirties. And so a lot of my leaders will give me their best excuses, which are so fun to hear. Say, yeah. And, and they're creative, aren't they? Oh my gosh, they're amazing. <laughs> and I'll say, you know what? I did the exact same thing and here's why it didn't work for me. Maybe it'll work for you, but the first part of my process is I validate where they are. I, as a coach, have to meet them wherever they are. Where a lot of people who teach a process, if you just use our process, it will work for you just fine. And some people, that's great. A lot of leaders are entrepreneurs because they're trying to prove something to themselves or something to others and fill an emptiness within. And they think they're gonna get that from external validation. I did. And I remember you know, I'm at this, my sixth Ink conference thinking, "And no big deal. My friends are like, oh, that's really cool. It comes and goes. When I started doing the inside out work, when I started working on what was gonna satisfy my soul, satisfy me as a human being internally, I was a better leader. And because I was a better leader, I was able to show up better for my staff, better for my family, and better for the rest of the world. And that's I think what I helped, you know, other leaders accomplish.
0: Mm-hmm. You know, you spoke about validating others, which tells me that you also do a lot of listening.
1: It's a lot of active listening. Um, mm-hmm. I just had a virtual conference the other day for 43 CEOs across Canada. And we have the chat feature running, and I'm asking lots of questions and I'm you know, active listening, I'm following up and I'm digging deep, get in the chat feature. This guy goes, I teach active listening. You're the best I've ever seen because you really help people by and large, whether you're an entrepreneur, whether you're a solopreneur, whether you're an employee, whether you're just parenting, you're going through life. The biggest thing people want to be seen. I believe is I want to be seen and I want to be heard. And by when we see and hear others, they feel part of our world. We feel part of their world. It's so much more important for me to be interested in their stories, interested in their pain, interested in their stuck, than telling an interesting story about me that doesn't have any application to where they are, just so I can feel like I'm the smartest kid in the room. That doesn't work.
0: I love that. Now, do you have a podcast?
1: I do not have a podcast, no.
0: Let's get you a podcast. There you go. (laughs) That
1: that would be fun. That would be fun. Let's talk about that later. Um, But,
0: you know, part of the reason why I'm doing this and this is my fourth year is because I always need to practice listening. Mm -hmm. And so this gives me the platform. So part of it is selfish, yes. (laughs)
1: So so what you're saying is because you want to practice listening, you've created a podcast so you can listen to others, if I understand you correctly. Absolutely. There you go.
0: (laughs) And again, I
1: still need practice. So here we go. So that's interesting because we all need to practice. And And I had a client one time say to me, you know, if I work with you, all my problems are going to be solved. And I said, well, no. Because all you do in life, all you do in business is trade this problem for that problem. So we use, we use the topic of money. But you can use it listening. You can do anything. He said, you know, in the beginning, we don't have enough money. And we're you know, rubbing two nickels together to make a dime. Well, if you're successful, then you have a different money problem. You have to pay a lot of taxes. They're both money problems. But one's a much better money problem to have. Uh, kids are awesome. Because you can actively listen to kids. And you can change their mood instantly. So then what you've got is a kid who wouldn't talk to you. Flipping into a kid who won't stop sharing. Well, they both require energy, but I'd much rather have a kid who's feeling seen, who's feeling heard, who's feeling validated in our world, in a world of social media and COVID and all these other things going on out there where our young people are getting so many data points hitting them, they're being told to seek so much external validation. When an adult invests in them, no different than when I, as an adult, invest in my clients, it can really be transformative. And I just love that.
0: I love that too. And I love, you know, speaking with kids and asking them questions. And just a side note, I was listening to a program where they were asking children, if you can invent anything in the world, what would that be? And it took me a while to kind of process that question, whereas they were like, they invented the coolest things. But anyway, so you spoke about COVID I was hoping we were at the tail end of it, but who knows? How has it affected you, your organization, your family?
1: You know, first I saw it as what it was, a tragedy. And then we saw it as opportunity. Um, My business of coaching is about creating mass reach out into audience by being on podcasts, by being on stage, et cetera. I was scheduled to be on six different stages in two different countries across five different cities. And... That all got taken away within 30 days, every conference was stopped. Every event was canceled. So what I did was I really dug deep. I was so blessed about 12 years ago. I worked with a guy named Simon Sinek to help me figure out my why. And I did his golden circle program and it took me two years to figure out two words, I am on this earth. And I really believe this at my core to improve lives. So i kept asking myself, how can I improve lives? I can't go on stage and my clients are wrapped around three words, fear, uncertainty, and change and I'm working with them, but there's got to be other people who are struggling. So I went on social media, so entrepreneur groups that I was a part of, and I started just volunteering my time. And within 60 days, I talked to 42 different entrepreneurs for 30 minutes each, helping them get unstuck. You know, I did a little video snippet of how I was stuck back during the recession and how I grew my business once I figured it out during the recession. So let me help you identify and understand maybe areas where you're stuck. This person out of Canada reached out to me. She was awesome. She starts the call off by saying, I don't know why I'm doing this, but I just felt compelled to answer your Facebook post. I'm planning on filing bankruptcy tomorrow. My business is totally screwed. And I've talked to my attorney. I've talked to my accountant. I talked to my controller, CFO. I don't know what I'm going to do, but I just felt I needed to talk to you. I said, well, bankruptcy is always an option, but tell me more about why you feel that's your only option. And we started going through that. And she was getting so much input from outside sources that once we peeled away all the layers and she was able to breathe, She was able to find money to stay in business. She fired her controller because he was the Daryl Downer of the world. And she's still in business today. She's in the hospitality space. She's pivoted her businesses from live events to sectional events where she got a little bit of this real estate being used for that, for small groups and small groups over here, doing online trainings for her sports camps. And she's going to live to fight another day. That's the only reason I do this stuff. For those light bulb moments, that aha moment that she was able to have. So that's really how I've been able to pivot is I've taken my platform from being in person, which I love the energy. I love the connectivity with the audience to going online, to being able to offer everything that anchors me back into why I do this, which is improved lives.
0: Hey leaders, stay tuned for the rest of the interview following this brief message. Most of us sit and we sit a lot, eight to 10 hours each day. Unfortunately, we're not designed to sit. The result of this mismatch between our hunter-gatherer bodies and our sedentary, chair-centric society is an epidemic of poor posture, weakened core muscles, and back pain. Worse, sitting passively slumped all day leads to increased rates of diabetes, heart disease, even cancer. Sitting eight hours per day robs the average person of two years of life. Luckily, It turned out that sitting isn't the real problem. The real culprit is sitting still. And while we can't get away from sitting, we can get away from sitting still. Dr. Turner Osler created a new type of chair that revolutionizes sitting by promoting movement while sitting. Purchase this chair at qor360.com and begin your journey of active sitting. So ask yourself, How's my relationship with money? Is it kind and nurturing, free of conflict, or is every day an epic battle? It may be hard to imagine there's a better way to manage your finances. It's actually easier to bury your head in the quicksand and hope it will never go away. It won't. If you're ready for a change, check out this book by Henry Doss, FQ Financial Intelligence. Now you can buy it on Amazon. Instead, how about a quick money lesson? Get it free at bookbaby.dasknowledge.com. That's bookbaby.daasknowledge.com. If you like what you see, check out his course at dosfq.com where you can learn it all from a master. Podcast listeners can sign up for one free month of coaching at podcast.dosknowledge.com. You were able to help her to stop and breathe. You connected it to that because when we breathe, then we're able to think better and we forget to do that.
1: Oh my gosh. We were talking a little bit in our pre-interview about baseball because I'm a big baseball nerd. And your dad played baseball, which is I think completely awesome. I, I was never that good, um, but I still played. I played a game last night of all things. And I'm going up to the plate to go to hit and I'm coaching myself, walking to the plate. Okay, breathe, breathe. Because scientifically, if I stop breathing or I clench my jaw, my muscles become tense and I have less bat speed to hit the ball. And I'm thinking to myself, I step out of the box, I'm like, That's what I do for my clients. I help them breathe so they have more flexibility Mm -hmm. in the work environment so that they can hopefully square up that ball and get a hit. It just dawned on me last night. So I'm so glad you asked that question.
0: I love that. So when you go through a crisis, what are some Mm -hmm. quotes or advice that have helped you the most?
1: Oh, that's a great question. There's really one that just stands out above all else. And I give full credit to Jim Collins and his amazing book, Good to Great. And his interview with Admiral James Stockdale, where they talk about the Stockdale Paradox. So for those listeners who maybe haven't heard the story, Admiral Stockdale was the highest ranking POW during the Korean conflict. And he was tortured over 20 times. And he's the leader of all the men in the camp. He talked about dealing with his brutal reality, which Collins then named the Stockdale Paradox. And the brutal reality has two components. One is recognizing where he was at. I am in a POW camp and I do not know if or when I'm gonna get out. So I'm gonna to choose to have faith that I will get through this, I will survive it, and this will be the best thing that's ever happened to me in my defining moment. You know, then they went on to talk about Viktor Frankl and his work. It was that mindset that Stockdale took because he talked about optimism. You know, We talk a lot about, oh, be positive, just be positive, just be positive. Well, being positive without confronting your brutal reality creates a broken heart. And Stockdale would talk about how people would get you know, captured and be in the camps and how they would die of a broken heart because they would set benchmarks that they could not control, benchmarks they could not reach, such as it's January. I'm going to be out by Christmas in December in 11 months. Christmas would come and Christmas would go. They're still there. Easter would come. It would go. Fourth of July would come and it would go. And slowly over the course of time, they just started to give up and they would die of a broken heart. Where he's like, my brutal reality is I'm here. I have to lead these men under these awful conditions and I have to have faith that somehow, some way, I will survive this. I will tell the story, and it will be an example of others. And that's the one when I think of for COVID. You know, COVID was thrust down upon us. You know, the recession back in the day of 08, 09 was more created by you know, financial metrics or irresponsibility or simple greed. So we had someone to be blaming, someone to be angry at, someone to point our hostility towards. This is a disease. And we have no one to blame. We have to deal with the brutal reality. And it's in those moments, I always challenge my entrepreneurs, where is the opportunity within the tragedy? Yes, it's a tragedy. We can't pretend it's not there. Let's seek opportunity. You know, so many people are frustrated. My business isn't growing. Let's pivot around what success is now measured as. Success is staying in business, not growing your business. So it's been a lot of different things. But again, going back to your question, for me, it's the baseline of the Stockdale paradox.
0: Wow. And it's so timely because as you were speaking about you know, people setting goals, well, in September, we'll go back to school <laughs> yeah. or whatever. And then that just crumbling. I love that you speak into that because it's preparing us and setting a foundation of where we should be looking and how we should be thinking.
1: I do feel for the parents who have the kids at home and the kids wanna go back to school. I'm a, maybe not all kids, but some kids wanna go back to school. <laughs> What's online learning gonna look like? Is that gonna be an opportunity? So we cover the learning piece by going online. Great. What about the socialization for children? What about learning to interact with their peers? How do we create that? All these different questions come out and there is no easy answer. There's going to be trial and error, but we cannot not educate our children. We're a global economy. We're a global community. Other countries are going to figure it out. United States needs to do the same thing. Because our kids are our future. Children will always be the current generation's future. And we have to take it seriously. I would argue that we should really go into it with massive curiosity, not massive fear, so that we can see that possibility.
0: Right. And you know, one of the things that I do is I work with preschool teachers and leadership. Mm. And preschool was never done online. I mean, it wasn't even in our thinking at all, right? Right, Sure. But now I'm actually creating a preschool called Master Leadership Preschool online. It's thinking about the possibilities. It's thinking about how we pivot and new ideas. So I really appreciate your insights on this. Um, And so moving on, Todd, many of us use the term lifelong learner. Mm -hmm. What does that mean to you? And what are you learning right now?
1: I am a lifelong learner. And it means to me, it's both a blessing and a curse. (laughs) It's a blessing because I'm always seeking and I'm always wanting to evolve. But it's also sometimes very exhausting for the people in my personal life because they're like, are you ever satisfied? And I'm like, today, no. but tomorrow I want to... And for me, it's a fine line with not being satisfied, but being content. Mm-hmm. And it's a struggle for me. There are times when it's exhausting and yes. there are times when it's invigorating. It's the whole spectrum. So for me, you know, when it comes down to is it really requires... And it's just how I'm wired, a massive curiosity. Yeah, Cause as soon as we think we know something, we don't. I think COVID's taught us that. If you're in real estate, which is supposed to be one of the safest areas in the world to invest your money and to try to create personal net worth, personal wealth. If you're in retail, what are you going to do with all this space? Now, if everything's going to go online, hmm. you have to learn because you got the cost, you got the infrastructure, if you're in education. And if you think, well, okay, I'm going to be a teacher for the next 20 years, and I'm going to be working with my students, and this is how it's going to go. I said, all right, let's move that. She's way over here, and now you got to do it all online. Or worse yet, yeah, you've been doing it for 25 years as a teacher. You kind of got your rhythm. You got your style. You got your process. Now you got to go online. Oh, my gosh. Now you're dealing with parents differently. All those things have changed, but we have to learn our way through them. We have to approach it with curiosity because if we don't approach it with curiosity, what I've discovered is we get very reactive
0: hmm.
1: and we get fight or flight because we feel threatened. And when we're fight or flight, we can't be creative. The brain does simply not work this way. One of the things I was telling a recent prospect for my coaching practice was, and his question was, well, why should I hire you? There's a, a kabillion coaches out there. And I kind of laid out my reasons and I concluded with, I still use a coach. I use a, a gentleman who's a neuroscientist out of San Diego, California. He's amazing. I've been with him for seven years, and he still deals with me and my reactivity. He still deals with me in the, with my seeking and searching as a lifelong learner, and he teaches me how my brain works, and then I teach my client why sometimes they're doing what they're doing. Well, if I wasn't curious and I just wanted to you know, hang my shingle on, I got out of debt and made the ink 5000 time, well, that would limit me as a coach. But I did that as an entrepreneur and as a business person, but now as a leader, not only a leader of entrepreneurs, but of families and of communities, here's how our brains work and here's what holds us back. Here's why we're stuck. Going back to your question from a little while ago, you know, a lot of coaches don't want to deal with helping someone get unstuck because they don't know what to do. Well, I get stuck still all the time and I'm still learning the craft because I'm a lifelong learner. So Mm -hmm. It's a blessing and a curse to be a lifelong learner, but the reality is I can't change who I am, so I have to just embrace it.
0: So two things, I love the fact that you have a coach because I always say you don't hire a coach who doesn't have a coach because they they don't, They don't believe in it. They really don't believe in it in their hearts. So that's one thing. And then when you talk about being a, a lifelong learner as a curse, here's how it lands to me. When I'm watching a movie on Netflix or I'm watching a documentary, I stop. I research. Oh yeah. And that drives uh, people crazy. But it's,
1: oh, I, I, it's so funny. I think you're the only person I've met who does, I do the same thing. And, and like, okay, so who's that actor? And I look, I pause, yes. look it up and like, oh, that's who that was. Oh yeah. I remember them 20 years ago. Oh wow. They, and, and like, People watching are like, uh, can you just hit play? <laughs>
0: can we just enjoy this movie? It's a great wait, wait yeah. but this is more interesting.
1: Oh, that I, I, this yeah. rabbit hole. Oh, I yeah. get you. <laughs> yeah. And then we're like, oh, how much money they made this movie for? And oh, my gosh, that wasn't worth $60 million. I'm like, oh, not helpful.
0: <laughs> I get you, Todd. I get you. Thank you for sharing
1: that. Now, sure. when
0: you think of leadership today, what most concerns you and what are you most hopeful about?
1: So what most concerns me right now is self-centered narcissistic leadership where the leader will portray themselves as being all about their teams, all about their communities, all about their countries, whatever leadership person you want to plug into that statement. At the end of the day, I believe my philosophy is in the greatest opportunity is servant leadership and being of service to others. And they may look on the surface very similar, but the behavior patterns and the way they show up is very different. If you're a narcissistic leader, it's, I wanna help you if it helps me. If you're a servant leader, they are, right, how can I be of best service to my team, to my community, to my family, and how do I help them elevate? I teach my leaders two things. The best CEOs I've seen are the ones who only have two jobs. They remove bottlenecks for their teams and for others. They might be the best salesperson, so to speak, But in the sales process, that all they're doing is removing bottlenecks for their clients, and they're teaching it to their next in line. They're not just taking all the credit, and they share credit. The second thing they do is they make it easy. They make it easy for their employees to work for them by being a servant leader. They make it easy for their clients to do business with them because they remove all the bottlenecks that allow their employees to rise and shine. And it's the best leaders that, behind all the scenes, who with care and compassion hold everybody massively accountable to the end goal and end result. The breakdowns typically occur is when they're trying to remove bottlenecks and they're trying to do everything by themselves. So, you know, your job is to identify the bottlenecks, but if, you know, Fred in accounting or Jane in HR can remove the bottleneck, you assign it to them or you get them to buy into it, however your people operate. Here's the greatest thing about leadership is it's super easy. You manage everybody the same as individuals. So, if, Fred, you need to collaborate with, then you do. If Jane just simply says, to listen, just give me my marching orders and push me off in my direction and get out of my way, great. Your job as a leader is to figure out that, work with them where they are, so that you're able to then go for that greatest opportunity of servant leadership, and you're able to grow your team, grow your people. And even if they leave you, they've left you better. Our kids leave our nests. They go to college. They go to trade school. They go off into the world and discover themselves. And only when they say to you as a parent, wow, that lesson you taught me, you know, 10 years ago, I'm still using today. That's our reward. These parents, look at how great my kid is. I taught him everything he knows. Yeah, that's narcissistic leadership versus the, the humble leader says, Johnny and Janie are doing awesome. And then they get the feedback from the kids like, hey, dad, I couldn't do it if it wasn't for you. That's servant leadership.
0: You know, Todd, I love that you not only answered the questions, you gave us really good examples. And I'm hoping that we're really listening because some of that can speak into our own lives and Mm -hmm. how we lead. Um, A narcissistic versus a servant leader and what that looks like. So thank you so much. Now, you have an option here. You can answer a question from a former guest or you can share a challenge, a struggle, a failure that you've learned from.
1: Well, I shared the failure of you know, getting my butt into debt and getting out of debt. I shared the failure of having to fire my entire company and start over and hire for DNA, not for resume. I think it'd be only fair to your audience if I took a question from a, a previous guest.
0: All right, here we go. So Alan Willett wants to know, what are some things you are doing to make the world a better place this year and beyond?
1: Well, I think for me, when I think of a better place, And I think of Alan's question. I think of what am I doing to impact the world now? And what am I doing to create a legacy going forward? So what I'm doing now is I'm doing a lot of volunteer work for startup entrepreneurs who want to create a life by design and recognize that to get a life by design, it is a combination of work and personal and work-life integration. And so I'm working with startups and I'm helping them figure out how not to burn out because we can do that really easily. We can get very obsessive. The behaviors of an entrepreneur are very much like that of an addict. We get obsessed, we get fixated, we keep chasing the rabbit hole, we keep looking for the next high of entrepreneurship. Going forward in the legacy of things, I think a lot of it will come through in my book. It's been five years in the making. It's been a labor of love. It's been a part of the lifelong learning process because where I thought it was going to go and where it's ended up are completely different to the betterment of the audience. As an author, I am of service to my reader, not of service to my ego. And in there, I've got a concept I talk about a lot about intention versus expectation and how intentionality is full of possibility expectation is either win or lose and how to pivot out of that. So just things like that, I think can make a difference. And I appreciate Alan's question.
0: Well said. I wrote down life by design because it's something that I really focus on and you use that language and so you hooked me. <laughs> so life good, by, good. by design versus life by default, right? Which right. Is where most of us can land if we're not intentional. So I appreciate that. Now, Todd, as a listener of this podcast, what is a question that you would like a future leadership guest to respond to?
1: I think a question that would really land and resonate with me to get an answer from is tell a story about the impact you've made on someone and the aha light bulb moment you were able to create for that person to shift them to make that change.
0: I love that question. Okay. So is there anything else you'd like to share with our listeners?
1: I'd like to to repeat what I said earlier, just to reinforce it. If someone listening to the show is stuck and they're nervous to raise their hand and ask for help, please reach out to me. i happy to give you 30 minutes of my time for free. I'd love it if you mentioned that you me heard me on the podcast so that I can give credit where credit is due. Um, because I really do believe in a philosophy I, I've just got ingrained in me as an, an entrepreneur alone is an entrepreneur at risk. And especially during these tough times, a lot of people feel isolated. They feel alone. They feel distance. Let's close that gap. Reach out. Let's have a conversation to see how it can be of help to you. Todd, T-O-D-D at ExtraordinaryAdvisors.com. And advisors is S-O-R-S.
0: Perfect. Todd, I want to thank you so much for adding value to me and to our listeners. It's been a great conversation. I feel like I've been coached.
1: (laughs) I love it. Thank you so much. (laughs) I appreciate you having me on the program.
0: Have a great day. You too.